1: Thank you for standing by and welcome to the HEXO Q3 2020 quarterly call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. Thank you. I would now like to hand the conference over to your moderator for today. Jennifer Smith, Director of Investor Relations. Please go ahead.
0: Good morning. Thank you all for joining us this morning for our 2020 Q3 earnings call. We will start with a presentation by our CEO, Sebastian St. Louis, followed by a recap of our third quarter results by our CFO, Stephen Burwash, before opening the floor to questions from our financial analysts. Before we begin, we would like to remind you that today's presentation contains forward-looking statements that involve known and unknown risks and uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual events to differ materially from current expectations. The forward-looking statements are based upon and include the company's current internal estimates, plans, expectations, opinions, forecasts, projections, targets, guidance, or other statements that are not statements of fact. Any statements contained herein or discussed during today's session that are not statements of historical facts may be deemed to be forward-looking statements. Such statements can often but not always be identified by use of forward-looking terminology and other similar words and expressions that are predictions or indicate future events and future trends including negative and grammatical variations thereof or statements that certain events or conditions may or will happen or by discussions of strategies. These statements should not be read as assurances of future performance or results Such statements involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that may cause actual results, performance, or achievements to be materially different from those implied by such statements. Those risks and uncertainties include but are not limited to those relating to the company's ability to execute its business plan, renew required permits, licenses, and related regulatory compliance matters, implement its growth strategies, obtain and maintain financing on acceptable terms, maintain and renew required licenses, maintain good business relationships with its customers, distributors and other strategic partners, keep pace with changing consumer preferences, protect intellectual property, manage and integrate acquisitions between team personnel and re- relating to the company's competitive advantages, the development of new products and product formats for the company's products, changes in laws and regulations and the absence of materially adverse changes in the industry or global economy. A more complete discussion of the risks and uncertainties facing the company appear in the company's annual information form and company's management and discussion analysis for the three- and nine-month period and the April 30th, 2020, which are available under the company's profile on CDAR. Although the company has based forward-looking statements on the assumptions that it believes it's re- are reasonable, it cautions the readers that actual results and developments, including the company's results of operations, financial conditions, liquidity, and the development of the industry in which the company operates, may differ materially from those made or suggested by the forward-looking information contained herein. A number of factors could cause actual events, performance, or results to differ materially from what is projected in the forward-looking statements. You are cautioned not to place undue reliance on these forward-looking statements which only speak to the date of this presentation. The company disclaims any intent or obligation except to the extent required by law to update or revise any forward-looking statements as a result of new information or future events or for any reason. Any forward-looking statement contained herein or discussed during today's session is expressly qualified in its entirety by the above cautionary statement. I'll now turn the floor over to Sebastian.
2: Thank you, Jennifer. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to start by wishing everybody a safe time and good health, and to thank and acknowledge the incredible efforts and dedication of our entire team at HEXO as we navigate through this pandemic caused by COVID-19. The global economy has seen a dramatic reduction in GDP Staggering unemployment numbers Uh, what's encouraging at least in our industry is that we've been stable uh, and even more than stable We're growing our team has rallied to meet the challenges as presented and actually exceeded expectations We've continued to introduce new products and we continue to increase our volumes as we gain market share on our competitors The company has implemented rigorous safety protocols to mitigate the potential exposure and provide as safe a work environment as possible to all our employees our team members have demonstrated an incredible resolve to ensure we continue to execute at the highest levels and achieve operational excellence. We remain vigilant and will continue to proceed with caution. While we continue to operate during a pandemic, we continue to be cautious about future expectations. Our plans to achieve adjusted EBITDA positive in the first half of fiscal 2021 or the end of the calendar year will depend on the growth of retail stores in our two largest markets, Ontario and Quebec. It's difficult to determine the timing of new licenses for new retail stores in Ontario and the build-out of additional stores in Quebec, but we're very encouraged by the huge progress that both our provincial partners have made. With only a limited number of physical stores, the revenue numbers that were published this week by SQDC and OCS demonstrates the tremendous potential of both markets. SQDC reported sales of 47 tons of of, uh, product, and profits of $26 million with less than 50 stores. I want to congratulate SQDC and Jean-François Bergeron on tremendous results and we're very proud to remain their preferred partner and for our participation in Quebec's success. On the Ontario side, we're super encouraged by the amazing work that Cal and his team have done on analytics in providing the market with detailed market share analysis by product and we look forward to continuing to see more. Our industry continues to grow during the pandemic, and that's a testament to the consumer demand for safe and legal product offered by licensed producers. Statistics Canada reported that sales reached $181 million in the month of March, and we're seeing steady demand in the months that have followed. While the March figures only lead to annual run rate of approximately $2.2 billion, most studies have reported that the true market in Canada is closer to 7 to $10 billion annually. There's a great deal of work to be done by licensed producers and governments at each level to safely provide all our products to consumers, uh, the products that consumers are clearly demanding to be able to get to the full potential of this legal market. We need the governments to either continue to build the retail infrastructure or allow the private sector to provide the service the consumer demands. The licensed producers need to lead the way forward by creating and delivering products that compete effectively with the illicit market. At HEXO, we're determined to be leaders in adult use market in Canada and other legal markets where we play. Our philosophy is to go a mile deep instead of a mile wide in each market that we participate in and with each product that we launch. It was this approach that led us to negotiate a significant preferred supplier agreement with the province of Quebec. We wanted to be the dominant player and achieve leading market share. We've done that. We've maintained a market share north of 30% and we continue to provide outstanding service to this prized market. And at this point, with the new success we've had operationally, we're poised to expand nationally and to start to provide that same level of service in other markets. There's other examples of how this approach of going narrow and deep has led to successful outcomes for HEXO. We led the way in creating the 28 gram package format and pricing it to compete directly with illicit market. Our competitors have followed suit, but we've achieved strong market share with Original Stash. We've been selective in our launch of 2.0 products, and our hash product has been an overwhelming success. We've established a dominant position with this product category. Very pleased to share that our Belleville facility is now fully licensed, which includes the Truss Beverage facility. The -the state-of-the-art facility is highly automated, it's ideally located to serve both largest markets in Canada and has a national scale. It has the capacity to grow along with our business and our partners. The key effect of this facility is it is shifting Hexo to a true manufacturing company while keeping our roots in agriculture in Getzno and Massal. We were one of the first uh, companies to partner with a Fortune 500 company. We created the Trust Joint Venture, our uh, joint venture with Molson Coors. And this company will launch a series of products from a newly constructed state-of-the-art bottling and canning operation at the Belleville site. And it should uh, lead to being one of the very few players in Canada with significant market share in the cannabis beverage market. We've also expanded our partnership with Molson Coors with the creation of Trust USA. As per our philosophy, we're gonna focus on a first market to dominate in Colorado and to test and uh, learn. During the later half of 2019, it became clear that the capital market environment for cannabis companies had changed. Access to capital was going to be much more restricted. HEXO led the way by being one of the first companies to rationalize our operations. This was also significantly impacted with the slow rollout of Canadian retail infrastructure, but we adapted very quickly. We were leaders in the following meaningful ways. We provided exceptional service to the province of Quebec. We moved up the ladder in market share. And as you know, I've often stated our goal is to become a top two player in adult use market share in Canada. HEXO has moved quarter over quarter from a top five spot to now the top four spot nationally. We've cultivated new high THC strains that are clearly in demand from the consumer. We have some new HEXO Plus products in market now achieving 26% THC. We've stabilized and improved our gross margins, being ahead of plan by delivering 40% this quarter. This has allowed us to launch and lead the path in the value segment without our margin deteriorating. We've reduced cash operating expenses to achieve our internal targets, and we've done all of that in less than 12 months. A big thanks to the team. We've also created products that utilize all the components of our cultivation efforts so that inventory does not grow excessively and consume our cash flow. Hexo is making substantial progress towards the trim problem that we all face in this industry. The, our inventory impairment has been minimized and will continue to monitor go forward. We have a lot of work to do at Hexo, but the good news is that our revenues are growing our yields and volume sold have improved, our gross margin has increased, and our costs are coming down. Our adjusted EBITDA loss is under $5 million, and we hope to be EBITDA positive this year. We've achieved all that while moving up the ladder in market share and taking the top four national adult use share spot. With the series of financings we've completed since the end of the last calendar year, Our business is on solid financial footing. We look forward to building on those strengths. Steve, I'll turn it over to you to
3: speak about our financials. Thanks very much, Sebastian. Good morning, everybody. As Sebastian mentioned, Q3 demonstrated significant improvement in a number of different ways as we move closer to our goal of becoming adjusted EBITDA positive. On the revenue front, revenue from sales in the quarter increased by 7.1 million, or 30% to 30.1 million from 23.8 million in Q2. Total revenue from sales in the quarter increased by 15 million or 94% when compared to the third quarter of the previous year. Net revenue increased to 22.1 million from 17 million in Q2 and from 13 million in Q3 2019. Gross revenue from the adult use channel was $29.8 million, and that represents an increase of 30% from the previous quarter 2 sales of 23. Gross adult use sales also increased by 104% when compared to the same period in 2019. Our value brand, Original Stash, continues to drive our sales with a little less than half of the, uh, sorry, with 48% increase from the previous quarter. Sales of this product were introduced in the province of Saskatchewan as our channels continued to grow. The increased sales of original stash also contributed to the reduced price per gram before excise tax, which fell by 9% to 319 from 349 during the period. Newly launched hash in the quarter compromised approximately 19% of overall sales quarter over quarter. Similarly, oil extract dropped. Drops contributed 7% to overall adult use sales growth. Adult use volume sold in the period increased 42% to 9.3 tons compared to 6.6 tons in Q2. Sales volume in the third quarter of fiscal 2020 increased 238% from the 2.8 tons equivalent sold in the same quarter of fiscal 2019. Cost of sales. Costs of sales for the quarter were $13.4 million compared with $11.3 million in the previous quarter, representing an 18% increase. The increase is the result of the increased sales in the period, offset by realized benefits of reduced direct and indirect labor. Some of the factors that contributed to the labor cost decreasing were COVID-19, which allowed for reduced labor inputs to our cost per gram and also activity in our Belleville facility for packaging. The cost of goods sold for the third quarter of last year were 6.6 million. The 100% increase in COGS is uh, is trending with the 94% increase in sales. Gross margin before fair value adjustments for Q3 2020 was 8.8 million or 40% compared with net revenues from the sale of goods compared to 5.7 million or 33% in the prior quarter. This increase is due to the reduction in the cost per gram as a result of the decreased packaging and irradiation costs, as well as the improved yields per square foot. While we expect there to be fluctuations to our quarterly gross margins as we ramp our activities in Belleville and introduce new products over the next few quarters, we we view this as a significant indication that we will be able to achieve the long-term sustainable portfolio-wide margins of 40% that we've targeted. gross margin after fair value adjustments and impairments was 5.7 million compared with negative 7.9 million in Q2. Our operating expenses continue to decrease through the quarter to 26.8 million from 281.5 million in Q2. Now remember in Q2, included a large number of non-recurring expenses that came about as a result of changes in the conditions of the Canadian market. For that reason, we look at our operating expenses in two segments, core and non-recurring. For our core operating expenses, we saw a decrease of approximately 9% to $25.7 million in Q3, from $28.1 million in Q2. This is down from our peak amount of $46.9 million in Q4 twenty nineteen. We've continued to focus on reducing expenses where possible and ensuring that each dollar we spent is put to its best possible use. GA decreased to eleven point two million from fourteen point five million in Q2 2020 due to reduced consulting and professional fees, IT and insurance costs. Marketing and promotion increased to $2.1 million from 400,000 in Q2. As mentioned last quarter, the Q2 expenses were reduced by the reversal of an over-accrual. The current spending is more in line with future expectations. Research and development decreased to 1 million from 1.2 million as a result of reduction in headcount and consulting fees. Now a quick look at the non-recurring expenses we saw. An additional 865K in restructuring costs related to continued the continued right-sizing of the team, we continue to focus on ensuring that we have our teams properly staffed with the correct number of people, sharing the workload and are appropriately rewarding those top performers who are helping us to achieve our goals. We also had a loss on disposal of assets uh, to do with the equipment that has been sold out of our Niagara facility. That number was 3.2 million. Loss from operations of 21.1 million in Q3 compared to 289.4 million loss in Q220. If we normalize the operating loss and exclude certain non cash and non recurring items, this decreased to 20.7 million compared with 23.2 million in the prior quarter. The decrease in loss is primarily related to an increase in gross margin and a decrease in operating expenses. We remain focused on becoming adjusted EBITDA positive. We are focused on driving revenue as a market leader in the markets we serve and reducing expenses through operational excellence. Cash position. We ended the quarter with $95.3 million in cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments. Subsequent to the end of the quarter, we closed an additional financing, which added over $50 million to our balance sheet. After a reassessment of our capital plans, we have reduced our requirements dramatically and expect to incur the majority of expenditures in capital over the next three quarters. With the reductions, realignment, and operational changes we've made, our recent financial raises and the strategic use of our ATM will allow us to fund our Canadian operations. I'll now turn the call back over to Jennifer.
4: Thank you, Steve. We will now take questions from our
0: analysts. Due to the large number of analysts joining us today, I would ask you to limit your questions to two at a time. You're welcome to rejoin the queue after that. Thank you.
5: At
1: this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Aaron Gray with Alliance Global Partners. Your line is open.
6: Hi, good morning and congrats on the quarter.
4: Thanks, Aaron, good morning.
6: so I guess my first question would go along with, um, you know, of the license at the Belleville facility. You know, I know that you guys had, you know, been waiting for that. And uh was a lot of things that, you know, could come along with this. I just want to get some further color on what you expect in terms of kind of you know, the top-line profile, you know, the shift from um, more automated, you know, packaging and how that can kind of flow through to the top-line, um, the timing of that. And then also on the top-line, I know you kind of gave some color in terms of you know, it being dependent on whether or not you can get more brick-and-mortar stores in Ontario and Quebec, but, you know, how also do you feel like the Belleville facility licensing helps you to expand market share in some other provinces outside of the two main ones you have right now? Thank you.
2: Thanks, Aaron. Super excited about Belleville uh, getting uh, its full licensing now, so fully operational facility. Uh, So the the first thing, short-term, slight negative on gross margin. Uh, Remember that now that that's uh, an operating asset that we're going to take an amortization hit. So that will show up next quarter, so expect a little bit of pressure uh, on gross margin. Now, medium-term, what's what's super exciting is that the efficiencies that Delville is bringing to the table just completely make up for that and more. Uh, We've got uh, automated packaging going in, uh, substantial reduction of labor to productivity. Uh, The cogs are going to continue to go down, and and that's just on direct cost savings. The most significant thing is touching on the market share increase uh, that you're alluding to uh, and what Belleville is going to do there by creating new products. And so with the capacity that we have for Belleville, the single most important impact to Hexo is that it's allowing us to create more 2.0 products, convert more of our trim that's on our balance sheet into sellable products at till sales, uh, which results in uh, more products on the shelf and more diversity for consumers. So we've already started to see that uh, and uh, looking forward to uh, rolling out the full suite of products over the coming quarters.
6: All right, great. and looking forward to see those kind of come out. And um, just want to kind of, my second question, just continuing on with, you know, 2.0 products. You know, now you do have, you know, Belleville, you know, rolled out, you know, you've come out with hash, which seems to be off to a great start. Um, you know, have us think about, you know, those additional 2.0 products coming online and, and kind of impacting, you know, the sales line there and kind of any color you could give in terms of what you're seeing right now, you know, in the marketplace, you know, from 2.0 products that have come out from, you know, some of your peers and competitors and where you think the opportunity is for Hexo to come in when it comes out with its own products. Thank you.
2: Yeah, so, well, really happy. I mean, HEXO for years has uh, has been first to market with a lot of product categories, right? We recently defined with the 28-gram. We're now uh, being first with uh, a hash offering that's national. So we we know those things work. So we're doubling down, uh, getting leaner on existing product lines so that we can keep upping the quality. Uh, Our original Stash product now has better humidity and better uh, THC uh, than we've ever seen in it and so uh really happy to be able to continue to offer uh pricing that beats the black market with a better quality but now as well as success of uh of hash we're starting to look at other categories so look to us continue to expand on our pre-roll line our vape line uh make sure those uh, work well and perhaps even more importantly uh celebrating the launch of our beverages with uh with trust so uh, we're super excited to, to have received the trust license uh, so uh, in the next uh, short while, we're going to be coming out to market with a full portfolio of Trust Branded products, uh, super exciting, ready to drink beverages. We're already in market with some ready to drink beverage drops. So our very well drops are available today. They're phenomenal. I mean, you can add a couple drops to any flavored drink uh, and it turns any drink, whatever you prefer, into a cannabis drink and you can customize the formulation. So, those have been a, a great success as well. So, we're going to double down on those. Uh, and of course, uh, we're, we're keeping a couple surprises for consumers uh, downstream. So, you'll have to wait
4: for those.
6: All right, great. Thanks. I'll hop back in the queue.
1: Tammy Chen with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
7: Yeah, thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, first question is, uh, Sebastian, wondering if you could speak a bit more to what industry and maybe your sales trends are looking like now. There was a lot of noise with the COVID pantry loading in March. Have things now settled back to pre-COVID levels and any color among the different provinces would be helpful as well?
2: Yeah, I, I think what it's been, and again, I mean, I, I commended uh, OCS on their report. I think uh, more of that will be be super useful. Uh, I think uh, that gives great clarity on on what's happening in our industry. We continue to grow. Yes, we had a little bit of noise around pantry loading uh, for COVID. I I think sales of cannabis just continue to go up. Uh, We are in a growth category. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, yes, we have to keep working through logistical challenges, but uh, no sign of slowing down uh, here at HEXO. So quite happy with uh, how we're proceeding. That being said, there's a lot of pricing pressure in the next year uh, as uh, we have a, a very fierce com- competition. And uh, getting to that top two spot is a very difficult journey while assuring profitability. So uh, we, we have a, a hard task ahead of us, but I'm sure the team will deliver.
7: Got it. Okay. That's helpful. And glad you mentioned the pricing pressure. because That was going to be my next question is, um, you know, you've talked about what to anticipate about the Belleville ramp in the near term on the gross margin hit. But I wanted to get your thought on as you think about this uh, competition in the industry, especially in value, do you anticipate or do you think you might need to get more competitive on the pricing profile of your original stash going forward? And when you think about this potential gross margin volatility at minimum from the Belleville ramp. I mean, are, are there still levers in your OPEX for you to reduce, to achieve that positive EBITDA over the next quarter or two?
4: Thanks, Tammy. Yeah, so Original Stash, really interesting case
2: study, I think. Uh, we launched Original Stash as a black market killer. It was not launched as a value brand. It was really launched as a way for us to offer consumers something uh, legally controlled, better quality at the same price as what they already pay. What happened is, from a legal market perspective, the positioning and pricing were just so aggressive. I mean, we were 40% better priced than almost all our competitors. So it really forced a shift of the entire legal market down. What I think is gonna happen is you're gonna see an ecosystem create around original stash with some value products that'll come out below original stash. And the reason uh, I'm, I'm separating the two The quality of original stash is just phenomenal. The the humidity control is bang on. The THC percentages are amongst the highest in the country. uh, And uh, so it's a very, very high quality product. I think there's definitely room for true value plays uh, below that. Hexo is not in a rush the race to the bottom uh, in, in terms of that category. Also given that our greenhouse asset is producing such high quality product, uh, I think we have a lot of opportunity for actually um, higher quality products. So you've just launched, we've just launched Hexo Plus uh, in, uh, in Quebec. So uh, th- that's been a quite a success with 26% THC product. So more care and attention there. So, it, I think the whole market is going to shift down. Original Stash is going to take its place uh, as a, um, as a, a mid-market, a black market killer uh, with a kind of value bargain basement, call it you know, 10 to 15% THC products uh, below that at a better pricing. And I think Hexo still has a ton of opportunity in both growing Original Stash market share and introducing new premium products. Uh, on the OpEx versus COGS question, uh, OpEx is starting to get very lean for what we want to build. Remember that uh, I'm set out over the next 10 years to build a global top player with Hexo. So that means I need significant executive bench strength and we have that today. We have a phenomenal team. Uh, we've, added, uh, we've added the food, CPG experience, GMs at every site. Um, and so those people are critical to the success of the organization. So uh, a little bit of rounding around the edges on OPEX. But the COGS opportunity and what Belville is going to deliver is still tremendous. So
4: I'm really not worried about the pricing pressure. Got it. Thank you. John Zapparo with CIBC. Your line is open.
8: Thanks. Good morning. Um, my my question is also around the the value segment and competition more broadly. Um, so with net pricing down to around 225 a gram this quarter, I'm just wondering, do you think this is a floor for hexo pricing? I know the the prior comment maybe was more around the industry being into a deep value category, but uh, but do you see kind of like for like pricing on on hexo products seeing a floor here, or do you think there's Uh, More room for that to decline, given it does seem that that you were early to the category for value, but, but some competitors seem to be chasing that as well.
2: Yeah, John, let them chase. Uh, I invite them to chase. I mean, at the end of the day, the consumer will drive pricing, and I don't think the consumer has a floor in mind. So as we continue to to achieve efficiencies, and the whole industry, including Hexo, is still in in its infancy. Now, we've done very well. We're we're one of the lowest-cost producers all in in the whole country. And you can see that in our gross margin and reflected in our pricing. Uh, But if you look at what we shipped in the quarter, I mean, over nine tons of product. If you look at our market share by volume, is a top player, like forget top four, we're in the, and, and I won't specify exactly which competitor I'm against, but we're right up there as one of the top players. So let the price shock settle, and you will see Hexo emerge, I think, in, the, in that top two uh, scenario. If we need to continue to use our cost advantage to lower pricing to ensure we stay in that top two spot, we will do so. Uh, but um, I, I don't think of this thing in terms of our pricing floor because HEXO doesn't need a pricing floor. We we still have so much upside on COGS control uh, with our Belleville facility that uh, we will continue to deliver better quality to consumers at better prices for uh, for at least in, in the next few years.
8: Okay, that's helpful. Thanks and then. My second question is on the, uh, the capital contributions required for uh, for trust and, and for the USJV. I know these are billed as, as being generally capital light. I think it's around $30 million in contributions this year. Just trying to get a sense of how much uh, more is necessary to to fund that project, at least given your, your current game plan. I know it can expand in future years, but um, given what you're trying to do now, how much more do you think you'll have to contribute to the JV?
2: Yeah, we we learned so much from uh, Molson Coors and uh, the the US execs are absolutely phenomenal in approaching a capital-like model. So what's really exciting about what we did in Colorado is we took all the lessons learned from Trust Canada, which had a significant investment, right? You're talking about $90 million, uh, about 42%, which was Hexo and the balance, which was Molson, uh, in Canada to build kind of this world-class asset. But uh, on the Hexo side, we've been innovating. We've been building a patent portfolio on emulsions, et cetera we can take all that IP, we're moving it down to Colorado. The regulatory environment in Colorado allows us to use pre-existing Molson Coors assets for distribution. And so what's, uh, what's really exciting is we're using uh, installed capacity to be able to distribute in that market. So uh, Capital Call uh, is in great shape. Uh, for now, the strategic plan at Trust and Trust USA is fully funded. Um, I do expect that as we prove out the Colorado market, We will want to expand further, uh, regulations permitting of course, and uh, making sure we stay on side with FDA as we've done so far. Uh, And I expect at that time we'll be presented with more uh, capital deployment opportunities.
8: Okay, understood. Thank you very much.
4: Rupesh Parikh with Oppenheimer. your line is open.
9: Good morning, thanks for taking my questions. So just going back to your commentary about hoping to achieve positive adjusted EBITDA in the first half of fiscal two thousand twenty one as you look at Ontario and Quebec, um, how many stores are there today and you know what level do you think you need to you need to see to get to positive
8: EBITDA?
2: Rupesh, I I think that uh, given our our market right now, I mean, we have decoupled ourselves a little bit from store openings in terms of being able to push forward. Uh, Our positive EBITDA is going to come through incremental market share gains out of the existing stores. So, uh, I I mean, I don't think it's fair for me to say... uh, you know, we're counting on, uh, on our, our provincial partners to open X stores in terms of, in terms of us to, uh, to achieve that. I think we're going to achieve adjusted EBITDA no matter the store count. The story obviously gets better if, the, if our partners open more stores, which they're doing. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll just keep an eye on that.
9: Okay. And then, and then I guess just a second follow-up question. So, you, you know, you look at your portfolio, you know, a lot of progress uh, on the value side. So at this point, are you happy with your portfolio positioning and where you are from an inventory perspective?
2: No, Um, I'll be happy when the inventory coming off the line goes right to the till and gets sold in two weeks and everything is fresh with nothing older than three days. Uh, So, uh, no, absolutely not happy. With that said, the progress we've made has been absolutely fantastic. And uh, as I mentioned, I mean, most of our product on the shelf now is uh, less than a few weeks uh, fresh. So we're talking... uh, Uh, We're talking a massive improvement from early days of legalization, way better
4: quality for the consumer. So that I'm thrilled with. Okay, great. Thank you. Graham Krendler with Eight Capital. Your line is open.
10: Hi, good morning, and thank you for taking my questions here. Um, Sebastian, I wanted to go back um, and, and just explore a little deeper your comments about the positioning of original stash. I understand your distinction you made between it being a black market buster versus a value segment, but do you think there is a risk of the overall consumer just grouping all of the, the offerings and and that offering has also increased in competition um, as value? And you could potentially see another iteration of what we've seen on some of the mid-grade products where Consumers end up just differentiating on price um, as opposed to brand or, you know, price in terms of dollar per percent THC. So, you know, are are you worried at all, uh, to put it in another way, that increased competition uh, on the lower bound um, of that segment could actually erode Original Stash's position? Or is the pie of this market going to grow substantially enough where it ends up being a smaller slice but of a much bigger pie? Thank you.
2: Yeah, so, so it's twofold and there's, a, there's a, a bit of a third part to it. So uh, with original tests, the whole market's going to shift down. There's pricing pressure across the board, right? As companies live efficiencies, our provincial partners are certainly remaining very competitive, forcing the best possible product for their consumers uh, at the best price. So uh, they're, uh, nobody's going to get away uh, with, uh, you know, just continuously reducing their costs, but not flowing that through to the consumer. Uh, so that, that's one piece. The other piece is most of the competitors in the country don't have manufacturing assets of the sophistication as what HEXO has at our Belleville facility. So I don't think that the existing 300 licensed producer uh, system is going to continue going the way it does. It's simply impossible for a small scale, scale producer with no manufacturing uh, capacity to compete with, uh, with a company like Exo. So I think that that will continue to mean a meaningful improvement uh, for, for the consumer. Uh, and the third part of that is as we continue to see yield improvements uh, at our, our cultivation center, because it's not just from a manufacturing perspective, we're making progress. Uh, as we continue to put out more product, Hexo also has some opportunities in introducing new brands that are positioned at a better value um, that uh, than original stash. so we're we're really starting to look at that sector as a total growth opportunity uh, while uh, while seeing original stash as growth. But yes, you're entirely right to say that it's uh, what we launched uh, basically defined the market. I mean, we had eleven of our competitors follow in the four to six months uh, after we launched. Uh, But, you know, HEXO is not new to that. The same thing happened when we did uh, year a couple years ago, and uh, I expect that to be the theme for the coming years. But if I'm always six months ahead of everybody, I think that's going to be good for HEXO.
10: Okay, thank you for that. I appreciate the color there. That's helpful. Just uh, as a follow-up to that, uh, could you share with us what the total percentage of original stash sales were of the 9.3 tons sold in the quarter and what the specific gross margin on uh, original stash sales was?
4: The original stash was, uh, was about half, uh, well, we'll just give you round numbers in terms of volume. And uh,
2: in terms of margin, we, we don't share by product, uh, and, uh, but I can tell you, obviously, we're, we're targeting that 40% portfolio. And uh, the great thing this quarter is I don't need to, even to
4: talk about targeting because we achieved it. So 40% gross margin across the board. Okay, thank you very much for that. Scott
1: Fortune with Roth Capital Partners. Your line is open.
11: Good morning. Thanks for the call. Um, can you provide a little more color outside of Quebec? I know, I know you're, you're maintaining 30% plus market share there. What about the other provinces and, and gaining market share uh, with your products in, in the other provinces moving forward here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we, uh, we're going uh, market by market, right? So we're being selective. So the idea is not to be, uh, not to be the, the number one player in, in every single market in Canada. The idea is to assure that we're top two in the markets in which we operate. So we're, we're rolling that out, um, obviously staying close uh, to, uh, to our friends in Ontario. Uh, that's a very large market, but uh, also active uh, in the Maritimes and out west. So we're looking at the major markets. We've started to roll out 2.0. Uh, mo- our full portfolio of products is, uh, is being made more and more available. Uh, we, just, uh, we just appointed a, a new uh, SVP of uh, sales. Super excited to, uh, to have them uh, start building up uh, our, our presence outside of Quebec and uh, look forward to building share there.
11: Okay and then a follow on um we know when kind Canada of got legalized you know the flower the inventory kind of ramped up from that standpoint uh the provinces are taking a little more cautious approach on the on the 2.0 product from that standpoint um how um are they viewing kind of uh orders reorders for 2.0 from that standpoint and then what are kind of the discussions around uh the potential uh beverages uh, as you roll that out down down the road here yeah, our beverage portfolio
2: has just had an absolute resounding success because we're we're taking that portfolio approach, basically going to the uh, to the distributors and saying we have your one-stop beverage solution, right? You you can deal with one or two suppliers, but one of them is going to be hexo, so, and you can have a complete beverage offering. So that's really resonating uh, as we're touching uh, north of eighty uh, percent of consumer occasions with our beverages. And so uh, we're, we're not short on orders. So we're, we're very happy to see that uh, full license in, uh, in Belleville so that we could get going on ready to drink. Uh, we have a number of fridges and a lot of retailers as well. So we'll be able to offer cold drinks uh, to consumers. So that's all part of the Hexo promise of quality. Um, on the, uh, sorry, first part of your question again.
11: Kind of how you seeing the reordering of uh, 2.0 products. I, I know there's a the conservative yeah. not to build the inventory too much there. How, how, do think, how do we look at kind of acceleration there, in sense?
2: Yeah. So the, the reorder. So really, the problem is that what they're doing isn't complicated, right? They're reordering what sells at the till. So we've uh, we put uh, boots on the ground to really understand what the till sales are. We're looking at the velocity rates, and we're being very careful. To keep the channel lean, uh, our goal is to get to just-in-time system where something comes off the line, gets produced, goes into store. Maximize freshness, maximize quality, and reduce cost.
11: Okay, thanks for the color. Appreciate it.
2: Andrew Carter with Steeple, your
1: line is open.
11: Hey, thanks. Good morning. I guess I wanted to ask, given the progress
9: to
0: date, pretty strong sales growth, plus 30%. You got a 40% gross margin. You're right, very narrow in EBITDA. Uh, on your even a loss and close to break even, I mean, what are the main kind of impediments to, to getting there? I mean, in the next quor- two quarters, Belleville coming online, but you're getting efficiencies there. If you can continue at the rate of sales growth, you've got some higher margin products coming online. I, I, I'm a little surprised, and I know you walked a little bit away from it, that it's still kind of predicated on store growth. But it, it seems like this this would be a pretty achievable target, just growing with the market in, in the next upcoming quarters.
2: Andrew, the certainty behind HEXO has never been higher. So your read, I think, is accurate. Uh, we've been focused uh, on reducing variability as we go forward and to get uh, to mature as an organization, right? We're coming off of a seven-year explosive growth startup. And uh, as, as we put a ton of effort in putting top CPG executives in play, uh, HEXO has really matured its planning process. And yes, I, I agree with you. I think that our plan is uh, more realistic than ever. And uh, obviously, that the, there's still some large caveats like uh, COVID, which is still out there. So we've got to be careful with those types of things and plan very carefully. But we're putting health and safety first, uh, which uh, should mitigate some of that risk. Uh, very confident about the future.
11: Great. And then
5: second
0: question, I, think, I believe the previous guidance at the high end had CapEx at 110 for the year. Is that still the case? And, and I wanted to ask, given, you know, given the liquidity situation, it's
4: much improved are you going to accelerate any of your capital plans or is it still a very meaningful step down coming next year? Everything we're doing is driving to revenue, Andrew, uh, so meaningful step down uh, for
2: sure. Uh, we're, we're really taking a philosophy on CapEx of making sure we get a good return on capital. So any new incremental project, I'm having the team present a full case, uh, and I've told them, don't even bother presenting me something that doesn't have a three-year payback. Uh, so we're we're targeting two years or better, uh, and uh, that that's really setting the foundation for more responsible spend and tying into that narrow and deep philosophy that we have at Hexo.
5: Thanks. I'll pass it on.
1: Matt Bottomley with Canaccord. Your line is open.
4: Yeah. Good morning. Thanks for
9: taking uh, the questions. Just wanted to um, clarify something on on sort of the um, the value segment of the market and and where Hexo looks to. Um, uh, to put its efforts in various categories. So, Sebastian, I'm just wondering if you can comment on how this translates to your 2.0 offerings. Um, obviously, a lot of new edibles coming to market. Vape pens have been around now since January. So, as you start ramping up some of these products, um, how do you view pricing or value segments there? You know, it's hard to tell just from looking at some of the provincial websites, but it does seem that a couple of these, you know, quote unquote, value-priced uh, edibles. Some of them that are that are priced, you know, at, at a significant uh, haircuts to the overall average seem to be gaining the most volumes, which, which makes sense as well. So, are you going to have a similar philosophy in those products to start, or, or um, just any sort of indication on, on what types of pricing points you're going to be focused on in the initial rule?
2: Yeah, is, I'd invite everybody to, to think a little bit broader than just value and high end. I, I think the most critical piece to understand our original stash strategy is black market displacement. So uh, when we think of a $4 gram, for example, uh, you know, in the context of the legal market, that sounds like value. In the context of the illicit market, that's just what people pay. And so for a high quality gram, uh, that's really the mission of Original Stash. That line extension, you've seen us take that into hash, for example. Now we happen to be the only product in hash today uh, on a national scale, uh, which is is quite uh, exciting but we've priced hash despite the fact we have no legal competitors to speak of, we are delivering value to consumers. We've priced hash at the black market price. And that's our philosophy surrounding everything we're gonna do under the original stash flagship. Now, we'll have some opportunities to do some truly disruptive premium things so when we come up with 26% THC flower, for example, that we're slotting into our Hexo Plus brand and, uh, because that's simply THC percentages that the black market can't deliver today, um, at least from the tests we're running. So uh, there's a lot of opportunities still for premium and niche products. Again, when you you think uh, ready to drink beverages, uh, a lot of opportunities there. But I also wanna make sure that in the long term, we're offering consumers uh, beverages that are familiar to them and that are in a a segment that's approachable. So uh, a few years out, I would love for somebody to be able to pick up a case of trusts powered by Hexo cannabis beverages for uh, you know a dollar or two a can, I think that would be uh, critical. For that to open up, though, we need the distribution to evolve where we can sell case quantity to really deliver that value in the 2.0. One
9: follow-up on on the um, on the beverages. I've heard from a number of producers out there that the government has allocated this, like some crazy. Uh, you know, five gram equivalent per uh, per ten milligrams that go into a bottle, which is making it hard for consumers to buy. You know, a, a spoonful, let's say, one day or something of these products. Is that something that is weighing on on the potential penetration of these products, or is it just sort of noise in the intro?
2: No, no, you're you're right. I mean, that that that's certainly an impediment right now. And the regulatory work. I mean, remember that Health Canada has been presented with brand new legislation first to legalize. First to introduce 2.0, introducing and you're, they're at right at the intersection of food and cannabis. It's a very complicated to operate. So, so I think in that context, we have to give them some leash to understand the how to evolve the regulations in the right way. The regulations today are not where they should be. There are still some inconsistencies in terms of concentration. Uh, to your point, if you walk into a store, you might be able to buy five ready-to-drink uh, beverages, that doesn't make a lot of sense if we're, if we're looking at a risk-based policy. Uh, the, the, the total amount of THC in those five drinks would be less than what you could buy in an equivalent uh, extract, for example. So there's some harmonizing to do while putting public safety first, and I think those avenues are available. I think the Industry Association, I think uh, HEXO have been pushing for those evolutions, and I know Health Canada is working hard on doing it. So uh, that, that will come, and it will help the market.
9: Thanks, and if I could just ask quickly, I know you've touched on it, um, just with, with respect to capital allocation, so the $150 million odd dollars that you currently have right now, you've talked about certain um, elements that, that it might be uh, applied to, but can you give sort of maybe a larger view or a 30,000-foot view of how much of that is earmarked for, you know, interim OPEX, burn, um, you know, uh, potentially, um, you know, funding,
4: trust, other initiatives you're doing versus what might be considered, for lack of a better term, rainy day money? Yeah, um, well, we're we're certainly being efficient
2: with our capital, so I, I don't think um, I don't think the idea is uh, is to do any rainy day money. But in terms of specific breakdown, uh, Matt, we're not, we're not providing the uh, capex opex breakdown
4: uh, at this time. Okay, thank you. David Kadeckel with AltaCorp Capital. Your line is open.
12: Hi. Good morning. Uh, congratulations on your quarter. Um, just a couple of questions here. The first is on uh, trust. Um, I'm just wondering, Sebastian, if you can uh, just give a little bit of uh, some color with respect to the timing of the rollout, Um, and also um, is your intent here just from a strategic perspective to deploy um, beverages across Canada all at once, or are you looking more at a phased approach, maybe starting with uh, your home province of Quebec?
2: Yeah, so, well, the, the interesting thing, I mean, Truss, uh, although uh, obviously we're half of the partner there, trust is its own company with its own management team. And so, uh, Quebec's is an incredibly important market for trust, but they're really looking at this as a national play. With that being said, trust is being very selective in where it goes for distribution and making sure that it has the right type of distribution deals in place. Uh, obviously, logistics, a lot more complicated with uh, ready-to-drink beverages, and we're leveraging Molson's experience there. Uh, we do expect to be uh, in most of the nation when we launch, and uh, the launch is coming soon. Uh, for a specific date, I'll let uh, Scott Cooper, the CEO of Trust, take that thunder uh, in, the, in the next short while.
12: Okay. Thank you. Um, And also you made an interesting uh, comment as well during your prepared remarks regarding um, HEXO really being a manufacturing uh, type of organization, but not forgetting your roots uh, as being in in agriculture. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are for the medium to long term. Should we still think of cultivation as as being uh, obviously key to to really all cannabis companies? Um, And if so, do you you think altogether uh, moving forward, is is cultivation something that that HEXO would likely um, uh, rid itself from altogether.
2: Uh, well, so the, the, the interesting question and would we get rid of cultivation, I mean, theoretically, if you weren't good at it, yeah, you'd want to jettison that business. But Hexo is one of the best in the country, if not the best. So uh, in terms of cultivating, we're, we're phenomenal at it. Like the quality is great, the cost is best in class, and we keep improving. Right, like so, our, our THC yield. I've talked about it, but now we're, we're now outputting 26% THC out of the greenhouse. So, uh, a big kudos to my cultivation team. So, in that context, no, I do, absolutely, uh, I'm not getting rid of cultivation. We're we're going to keep it because it's a it's a big driver of uh, profitability. I do think you're on the right track though in thinking of cannabis companies not as a one size fits all. I think you have cultivation companies. I think you have manufacturing companies. I think you have IP companies, and that's why it's so important for Hexo to be a top market share leader. And that's why it was so significant to move from number five to number four and on our way to top two is because we are a full service offering license producer. We have one of the most robust IP portfolios in the space as we're invested in innovation. We're uh, one of the lowest cost producers on the cultivation side. And now with the Belleville asset, we're possibly one of three or four uh, companies that have the scale and uh, manufacturing expertise to deliver true manufacturing. So we're playing in all those, uh, those three segments. Manufacturing will start to take more and more importance as we go forward. And what's really exciting about manufacturing is that it uncouples the value of the company from the value of or the scale of the cultivation. So where before all these companies were valued on, okay, you can uh, grow 50 tons, for example, so your value is X, with Belvin and our manufacturing, we can manufacture more products that we can grow. So what ends up happening is as prices continue to grow and as we see other competitors specialize in agriculture and cultivation, if they don't have manufacturing, we'll be able to provide that service for them. And then we've just created upside revenue potential that's beyond our cultivation ceiling.
12: Thank you, that's helpful. And if I can just ask one more question, we're going back to original stash. I'm just curious, uh, when you mentioned Sebastian, you do have a high THC product um, that that will enter the market or or might be in the market now. Um, I'm going to assume just for this question that that we can call it a premium uh, high THC product. And if so, um, when you're looking at uh, customer preference here, consumer preference when it comes to original stash being meant to uh, really um, get rid of uh, illicit market product altogether, when you introduce now a high THC product and also calling it Hexo Plus, I think you mentioned, um, is are there any potential issues with the consumer, um, how they're thinking about um, original stash being a, a Hexo product versus a Hexo Plus uh, high THC product, and any sort of um, uh, challenges with just for the consumer to kind of integrate uh, with, on the one hand, original stash being uh, kind of, um, you know, uh, a lower quality type product compared to a higher THC product?
2: Yeah, so a lot to unpack there, uh, Dave, thanks. Um, The the Hexo Plus product has a brand promise of a minimum 20% THC. So we noticed in market that consumers were asking and saying, well, we don't want these broad THC ranges and sometimes we don't really know what we're getting until we have the package in our hand. So that's why we introduced Hexo Plus. There's not a gram in HEXO plus that's under 20%. And in fact, most of them are going to be north of uh, 25, 26, as I've said. So, uh, but there's a brand promise there. Now that comes with a a premium pricing scheme Uh, on original stash. What you have to compare to is the true quality of illicit market, right? Uh, When we look at broad testing of illicit market objective data, illicit product is coming in at 13 or 14% THC. Our original stash currently is sitting north of sixteen percent. Uh, so when it is incorrect to name it uh, lower quality, it is much higher quality than what's available in the black market, and of course, tear and control, uh, any uh, you know humidity uh, and uh, and of course the lack of pesticides. So you get all that added value. The challenge is telling that to consumers because the illicit market has been telling people for years that they, you know they're growing thirty five percent THC product. That is not true. But the consumer does believe it today. So over time, as we educate, I think there's a lot of work for us and our provincial partners to, to get that message across to consumers. Uh, and as we do that, we'll be more and more successful with our branding.
4: Thank you. That's very helpful. That's it for me.
1: Douglas Mayim with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
5: Uh, All yeah, right. Thanks. Good morning. Um, two questions. Number one, as we look to uh, 2.0 products and the growing importance in the market, can you maybe talk about baked pens? And um, one of the things specifically I'd like you to add in here is you were really the first. You had first mover advantage when you thought about a value market. Are you thinking of along the same lines uh, for baked pens or something like that? Thanks,
2: Doug. Um so uh well first super excited. We've got uh, our disposables are in market in Alberta. So we're uh we, we're currently at pilot scale on our vape manufacturing, so we, we will at some point, I'm sure, take in our Belleville facility to, uh, to, to, do the, to to flip the cost on its head and go to the next level. Uh, but um, more, so, more importantly, from a quality perspective, our, our vapes have been extensively t- tested, uh, no adverse reaction through our clinical trials, so we have actual data, so we're very confident in putting those in front of consumers. Uh, they're made from all natural ingredients, so there's no extraneous uh, chemicals or anything that might uh, might cause those adverse reactions. So we're very, very happy. And our innovation team's done a phenomenal job on the flavor profiles. So we're getting uh, rave reviews at the moment, and uh, we've actually managed to, um, to to really deliver specific experiences with the mix of flavor uh, flavor oils and uh, terpenes. So, uh, in our disposables, I mean, for example, our Trainwreck product, uh, that's a disposable vape that's currently in Alberta, is uh, is coming back with reviews. People are calling it some of the strongest vapes they've ever tried. Uh, and so, uh, we're very, very happy with that quality. Now, the question will be, how do we scale that up? Uh, from a manufacturing perspective. Um, and so I think it's a completely different strategy with vape and um, an original stash uh, from the approach to the market uh, because vape is a much more complex manufactured product. You also have a ton more upside once you automate. So uh, it's going to be exciting to see that one roll out.
5: Okay, that makes perfect sense. Um, second question just has to do with the scaling up of to commercial levels on the beverage lines. Um, can you comment on whether or not you're seeing any lot-to-lot consistency or variability, I guess, and um, if you're experiencing similar issues to what perhaps some of your competitors saw as they rolled out when they were launching at scale.
2: No, uh, it, uh, thanks for that. No, I, in fact, and this is this is why I'm so happy we partnered with Molson Coors because if I had tried to do these beverages on my own, I would have had the same issues as my competitors. Uh, the, the Molson guys are, I mean, they've been doing beverages for 300 years. They came in and they installed a five-part-per-billion oxygen control system in our system. So we have now, we now know and we've known for a while that um, oxidation of cannabinoids is a problem for quality there's simply there's next to no oxygen in our system, uh, which is phenomenal for quality and consistency. Our shelf stability is very strong. Uh, the uh, The flavorings that we're using are very stable. Uh, we're very, very pleased with the quality. Uh, I think we're we're leaders of uh, very uh, we'll, we'll need to see in market how the consumer responds. but uh, certainly from a production standpoint, Uh, The uh, Belleville Trust Beverage Facility is the most advanced uh, cannabis beverage facility I've seen on the planet.
4: Okay, great. Thanks very much, Sebastian. Pablo Zwanek with Cantor Fitzgerald. Your line is open.
13: Yes, good morning. Look, a couple of questions. Um, How should we think about, you know, this huge increase expected by the fall in outdoor cannabis cultivation? Is that is that going to it's going to affect the flower category in value or even pre rolls or is it just something that's going to go to oil and extracts mostly? Uh, I'm just trying to think how that affects a category, different formats, and particularly a value segment uh, for for flour. or maybe not at all.
2: Yeah, it's been really it's been really interesting to take a look at some of the outdoor grow stuff. Uh, first, I don't think anyone's figured out how to do it profitably. Like, if you look at the margin profiles of some of the outdoor growers. Their gross margin is half of that of uh, Hexo. So the HEXO, uh, you know, so there's some work to do just on the supply chain. That's number one, so it's not ready to go. Once it is ready to go, uh, will it have impact the flower market? I don't think so. Uh, consumers don't want outdoor product uh, at, uh, at really at any price. Uh, you're also going to have a lot of uh, quality issues with that product. So, uh, no, I don't think it's going to significantly impact the flower market. To your point, how does it come into play with extraction? I think that's something we need to keep a close eye on. Does it displace hemp? And that's why it's so significant for us to be installing a massive extraction capacity ourselves at our Belleville facility, truly moving to being a manufacturing company. Um, Hexo is not going to invest in outdoor. We're not taking that risk. But in the case where it's successful, we can become a net buyer of outdoor product, run it through our world-class extraction processes, uh, and then feed our 2.0 offerings. Uh, And for us, we'll be agnostic. Whether we get those cannabinoids from an outdoor cannabis grower, an outdoor hemp grower, or a synthetic, uh, biosynthetic uh, producer down the line, uh, what's important to Hexo is being able to manufacture great products, formulating IP-protected experiences, and having consumer market share.
13: And one more. Um, Just remind us, what percentage of your sales came from the Quebec province, if you can disclose that, for the quarter? And also characterize, you know, how Quebec uh, performed as a market in, 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 uh, you know, post the March pantry loading in April, May, even June, compared to other provinces, right? Apparently there was less restrictions, so the market performed better, but just some more color there in terms of uh, the last three months for Quebec versus the rest of the country.
2: Yeah, I mean Quebec is still our primary market. Uh, over eighty percent of our sales uh, are are were in Quebec uh, the, this quarter, um, and uh, because we've kept that as a as our as our top top priority market. Uh, but uh, that was also capacity constrained historically. That capacity constraint is largely lifted now, uh, so you'll see us starting to roll out, as I mentioned, in other markets. Uh, but we're we're being selective to make sure that if we do go into a market, we want to play in that top two position.
13: Yeah, but can you comment in terms of how the market performed in the last two, three months versus the other markets? It sounds like it's been a much stronger market with less restrictions than Ontario and BC and other provinces. Or well, that's not necessarily true, not so different.
2: Uh, no, really, the, the margin improvement has come through cost control. So uh, the, it's I'm sorry, really not... The market,
13: not, not. Sebastian, I'm sorry, not the margin, but I'm talking about the market. What I've heard from other provinces is that because of the stores' uh, uh, shutdowns and restrictions, Quebec has been a market that's been better performing, uh, as there's been no major shutdowns compared to other provinces. I'm just trying to understand, you know, it seems like... Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, okay, sorry, thank you. Uh,
2: yeah, so, well, Quebec published their numbers, right? So, 47 tons shipped, and then you compare, and I, I think that's the top market in Canada right now. Uh, and, uh, I mean, Ontario has done a phenomenal job as well. Uh, they shipped 35 tons uh, but obviously, you know, if you if you adjust for population, I think Quebec is clearly doing a, a, has made the right choices in terms of getting to the most amount of people.
13: Right, and one last one, if I may, and and I ask this, of course, respectfully. Uh, you know, in, in, in with with the 2 equity offerings in the last two months, plus the boat conversion, the bond conversion. You, your shareholders, you know, those that held the stock back in February, March, were diluted by about 64%, right? That's massive, but maybe that's a cause, you know, to raise capital and to survive in this industry, especially with all the opportunities that you have. But, you know, after that, and today in the call you're talking about making use of the ATM in the future, I mean, just I think that you need to give a bit more color in terms of how people should think about the further risk of dilution in the months ahead. Can you comment on that a bit more? I mean, you, you didn't really exactly give the CapEx number, I don't know if it was 110 or 150, But I'm just trying to feel more comfortable that there's no major dilution coming in the the next few months. Thanks. That's it.
2: Thanks for that. I, I think what's important, and I've said this for the last seven years, HEXO is set out long term to build a globally dominant cannabis player. Those companies will require, over the long term, billions of dollars of capital now i think we can safely revise that type of thinking because we've learned so much and we're learning how to get a lot more capital light so years ago i threw out a number if you wanted to build uh one of the top three global cannabis companies it cost you six billion dollars that's a number i threw out i think the number is lower than that today uh, because i think we've gotten a lot smarter in how we approach and 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 a lot more capital light uh we've had some international sales now at hexo uh, that you'll see roll out in the in the following months uh, you'll see that show up in our, in our revenue line. Uh, we're doing those right from Canada with no assets installed, no employees installed internationally. So we're getting a lot smarter. But that in mind, when you look at the global cannabis opportunity, and let me scale it back to even Canada, the top three players in Canada will be splitting a $10 billion market uh, here in the country. Uh, now, our share, the licensed producer's share of that market is going to be $5 billion, right? Take out excise tax, take out margin. So you've got three players splitting a $5 billion market. Give $1 billion of that market to other small players, right, the, the non-majors. I'm playing to be a major player. If Hexo is successful, we will have a significant share of a $4 billion revenue stream. The dilution needs to be controlled, but... The bet and making it to that top three will make that dilution irrelevant because the success will be resounding for long-term holders. Of course, we're in a hyper-volatile market and I certainly wish we would not have had this global pandemic, uh, which put us in a position to where yeah, we, we raised at terms that were unfavorable. But you've seen us recover from that, uh, no longer doing unit deals. So you can be rest assured that that's off the table. We now have our ATM launching uh, with unbelievable volume. So giving us access to capital as needed. And more importantly, uh, we're moving towards that adjusted EBITDA positive. So there's not an OPEX strain. I've also talked about our capital prioritization. If we're deploying capital at a 30 to 50% return in the future, uh, the, the dilutive effect becomes
4: additive, not dilutive. And so uh, I'm very confident in that strategy. Does that answer your question? Our final question comes from the line of John Chu with Desjardins. Your line is open.
11: Hi, just one quick question. So previously you had mentioned the Belvo facility was meant to act as a facilitator to to bring on new 500
4: uh, uh, or top new partners uh, in the market from a CPG perspective. Sorry, Donia. Did Did you finish your thought? I lost you at CPG perspective. Oh,
9: yeah. I'm just curious about uh, how discussions are with new CPG partners now that the Belvo facility is up and
2: running and licensed. Yeah. Um, Well, we haven't toured them yet, but they're all asking, uh, which is super exciting. Uh, So uh, we're still our conversations ongoing. Again, those are long pole conversations, very complex deals. I'm still at the table with major world-class companies, uh, and uh, we're still very excited about the potential. We've got now uh, about 400,000 feet of manufacturing space uh, that's in a licensed facility, world-class cannabis center of excellence, right next to another Fortune 500, right next to Trusts, all in the same building, uh, next to Hexo Operations, that's available to those Fortune 500 partners. So we'll be beginning tours uh, probably uh, sometime in the next couple of months uh, for, uh, for not only those potential Fortune 500 partners, but also uh, other partners, investors, et cetera. So uh, looking forward to showcase that facility. And yeah, for sure, I
4: think that's gonna have a positive impact in landing some partners. There are no further questions at this time. I would now like to turn the call back over to our presenters for final remarks. Thanks, everybody. That's all we have for today.
2: Uh, Very excited about the quarter. Thanks again. Big thanks to the team and look forward to to talking to everybody uh, in Q4.
1: This concludes today's conference call. We thank you for your participation.